When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome into the Nick Ba podcast. It is Wednesday night, December 4th. I just put my three-year-old to bed, so I do what every parent does, record a podcast, right? That's what all the parents do. Got some hoops to dive into uh, on today's pod. It's Creighton, Nebraska week, baby. I-80 rivalry, Blue State, Red State. I am pumped. We'll take a little break from football, much a much-needed break. I might add at the the timing of this Creighton Nebraska game is perfect. I mean, it's kind of the perfect distraction to stop thinking about Husker football for five seconds. Am I right? I mean, by the way, if you want to continue to uh, think about Nebraska football, which I, I if you do, I highly highly recommend you check out the Iowa recap pods I did with Bo Root. Bo Root and I went three hours, three hours. There was so much to talk about with the Iowa game and then with everything else with the Nebraska football program. We had to break it up into two parts, and we cover it all, everything in the Iowa game. And then a ton of big-picture stuff with Adrian Martinez, the quarterback situation, uh, recruiting Frost, what staff needs to do, and improving the Tommy Frazier tweet that set some things off. I mean, we cover it all, and all those things are on the Recap Pod Part 1 and Part 2. They are both up and available right now, so make sure you go check it out. And remember, subscribe to the podcast. Okay, Lots to talk about this Creighton uh, and Nebraska basketball game. So here we go. Creighton, Nebraska, Saturday, uh, 1.30 uh, in Omaha, FS1. I'll be on the call. I love this rivalry. And on this pod, I'm going to give my thoughts on the matchup, the game itself, uh, my, my thoughts on Nebraska and kind of what they've done up until this point. I just uh, watched the Nebraska-Georgia Tech game uh, tonight. Uh, so... Certainly a lot to talk about with the, with Nebraska, and then obviously there's a lot to talk about with Creighton as well after their trip to Vegas and then took down Oral Roberts. Uh, but I want to start with the rivalry itself, Creighton and Nebraska, and kind of how it's evolved and what it's like to play in it and all that good stuff. So h- how about this? The all-time regular season series between Creighton and Nebraska is tied at 26. That's kind of cool, isn't it? 26-26. So, you know, we all remember last year, Nebraska Nebraska beat Creighton last season in, in Lincoln, Pinnacle Bank Arena. But Creighton has, has dominated this series in recent history. Jays have won seven of the last eight matchups. Creighton has won 16 of the past 20 regular season matchups. But last year, Nebraska in a super hostile, loud, emotional Pinnacle Bank Arena, played great and kind of smacked the Jays 94-75. 
which was a huge win for Tim Miles at the time because you know he had lost six straight to Creighton. He was 0-14 all-time against Greg McDermott heading into last year's game. So that, that was a much-needed win for Miles and Nebraska. But Tim Miles has obviously been let go, and now Fred Hoiberg is at Nebraska. And it really felt like the, the rivalry had, had reached another boiling point by all accounts, I was I had a Butler game uh, for uh, so I was in Indy during the Creighton Nebraska game last year. But by all accounts, everybody that was at Pinnacle Bank Arena said the emotion was amazing, and some of it I think spilled over into being pretty nasty. Uh, so by all accounts, it was pretty emotional last year in Pinnacle Bank Arena, and it's it's always interesting, you know, what the rivalry is like when one side changes coaches, you know? I mean, the good news is for those that like the nastiness of this rivalry is if you're just trying to think of like different things to to gossip and, and think about, Fred Hoiberg took over for Greg McDermott at Iowa State and obviously had roaring success in Ames. So you never know what the that dynamic is like between McDermott and Hoiberg. Let's be honest, when especially if you get if, – if things aren't going well and you leave – you're never necessarily totally rooting for that next person. Like, I don't care what Tim Miles says. He can't be rooting for Fred Hoiberg, right? I mean, come on. I don't care what Mike Riley says. He has to be loving that Scott Frost has not had a ton of success. So you never know what that dy- dynamic is like between Mac and Hoiberg. But keep in mind, Hoiberg coached Doug McDermott for a year and a half in Chicago when they were, they were with the Bulls. So there's that. I, I think... From all accounts, Fred Hoiberg has a really good relationship with, with Greg McDermott. Uh, but you know what? That can change. You know, like rivalries have a way of taking a toll on you and your personal relationships. You know, I mean, Tim Miles and Greg McDermott, I, I just I don't think they're as close as they were when Tim Miles first took the job in Lincoln. I guess they'll just leave it at that. So you never know. I mean, th- this Saturday will mark the beginning of the next chapter in this Creighton and Nebraska rivalry. And it's a rivalry that is, I'll just give it to you as I see it, you know. It's a rivalry that to me has evolved and changed quite a bit over the past 15, 20 years. I think one of the biggest reasons it's evolved and changed is Creighton's move to the Big East Conference. It just kind of changes the dynamic of the rivalry because Creighton always played, you know, the the little school that, you know, 50 miles down the road that Nebraska looked down their nose at. And you know what? It's kind of hard to play that card when you're in the Big East Conference, right? And Nebraska used to always play the card of, hey, man, you know, Nebraska has nothing to gain playing a mid-major Missouri Valley Conference school. So this is nothing. This is Creighton Super Bowl. It's just another game for us. We got nothing to lose. Well, that's kind of a tough card to play when Creighton's in the Big East Conference, right? So in a lot of ways, both of the the big mantras you'd hear on both sides about the other, or kind of the game itself, is kind of been rendered irrelevant now to a certain extent. Now, that's not to say there's trash talk and different things like that, but I do think the big kind of mantras you've heard from both sides are kind of like, eh, I don't know if you can really say that anymore. 
So there's that. And then, you know, listen, let's call it like it is. Creighton has really controlled this series over the past 20 years. I mean, I gave you the numbers. Creighton's won 16 in the last 20 meetings. They've won, what, seven of the last eight meetings. And obviously, Creighton's been the more accomplished program overall, too. So, you know, when one side wins a ton recently, the rivalry can kind of feel different, too. So it's just, it's it's evolved, it's changed, but that's kind of how it goes. I think another reason it's it's evolved is Dana Altman isn't involved anymore. In my opinion, Dana Altman add a, added a layer of fire and emotion to this rivalry. I think Coach Altman in, embodied kind of the fighting spirit of feeling like Nebraska wasn't respecting Creighton. At least that's what he kind of played. Behind closed doors, he really played that up. Because think about it. That wasn't just like uh, he sat in his room and in his office and thought, what what can be the rallying cry? Think about this now. Dana Altman, where's he from? He's from Wilbur, Nebraska. He's a Nebraska boy. He gets her rolling at Creighton a little bit. Didn't even get a phone call, not once, but twice from Nebraska when they had head coaching vacancies open when he was at Creighton. Barry Collier, hired in 2001, didn't get a call to Dane Altman. Doc Sadler, hired in 2006, not a phone call to Dane Altman. Now, I'm not saying that Dane Altman would have taken the job or even wanted the job, but to not even get a call when you got to roll in a little bit, just 50 miles down the road, I, I just, this is just me, I always think that fueled him a little bit. I always think that fueled him. And I'm just telling you, again, all I, all I can give all I can give to you is kind of my experiences and how I see it. I, I'm just telling you, I played for Dana Altman. Coach Altman was different during Nebraska week. You could just, you could feel the intensity from him. You could feel just how bad he wanted to win this game. And that set the tone, man. I think he always added a layer, a big layer of intensity to this game in a whole bunch of ways. Because I always wondered, how, how did Nebraska basketball fans feel about a Nebraska coach, you know, a, a coach from the state of Nebraska coaching Creighton and beating Nebraska with regularity? I always wondered what that felt like for Nebraska fans. So I think this this rivalry, like just talked about, it's evolved and changed. It altered a bit when Coach Altman left Creighton and went to Oregon. I think another thing that has always made this game interesting to me, and it's not totally prevalent with this matchup. Got a couple of kids, but I think I think another thing that always made this game interesting was the in-state kids playing in the game. I was, I was looking some stuff up getting ready for this pot. Over the past 20 years, almost 20 years, like 18 years, I, I wanted to look at the in-state kids, players from Nebraska that really played in this game. Not just on the roster, but like really played in this game over the years. 
And something kind of interesting kind of stood out when I was when I was combing through it. So the in-state kids that have played for Nebraska in this rivalry game, you got Jake Muleisen, Jason DeRusso, Wes Wilkinson, Andrew Drevo, Tanner Borkart played. Brady Hyman played a little bit in last year's game. Yeah, I'll give you that. Mike Peltz played in this game. He got into a huge scuffle with Avery Dingman and company and Grant Gibbs. Uh, and Drake Baronic, Ravenna, played in this game as well. So, you know, that's, uh, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, seven or eight guys over the past, you know, 18, 19, 20 years. Creighton has had Jimmy Motes, me, Josh Dotzler, Antoine Young, Josh Jones, Kyrie Thomas, Justin Pat. Th- those are the guys that I deemed actually actually played in the game or games. And what was interesting is Nebraska in total has had more. That surprised me. I don't know what you guys thought. Like, I, I, I that surprised me. But think about this. Nebraska hasn't had an in-state kid start the Creighton game since Wes Wilkinson and Jason DeRusso started in 2005. Think about that. 2005, well, that's 14, 15 years ago. Creighton during that time has had a bunch. Obviously, I started in 2006 and 2007. Josh Dotzler started three of his four years. Antoine Young started. Kyrie Thomas started. Justin Patton started. Josh Jones was one of those guys that was like a six-man that basically was a, played a lot of minutes. So when you, when you look at it, basically every year except about three years or so since 2006, 2005, there's been a Nebraska native in the starting lineup for Creighton, not Nebraska. And I think this is just me. Again, I've just I keep on saying I can only tell you what my experiences have been like, how I see this. I think, I think it's meant a little more to those guys. I, I really, I really, I think it meant a little more to Josh Deltzer, meant a little more to to Kyrie Thomas, Justin Pat. I think it meant a little more to Jimmy Motes. And a good portion of the in-state kids, I mean, think about this. For a good chunk of this rivalry here recently, you had a coach from Nebraska coaching at Creighton, and a good portion of the in-state kids were starters at Creighton. So I just, I think it's not too crazy to connect the dots and logical to say that maybe it meant a bit more for Creighton to Creighton for a stretch. And I bring I bring this up, the whole in-state kids thing, because in-state recruiting in Nebraska in terms of high school is is improving. I mean, Miller North's got like four D1 kids. It's improving. Obviously, a Cola Ropes on Nebraska roster, Shreve Mitchell's on Creighton's roster, both as freshmen this year. So in-state recruiting, oh, I don't care what state you're in, it's important. The battle for the hometown kid, whether you're talking about, you know, like Sam and Joey Hauser in Wisconsin and whether or not he's going to go to Mark, they're going to go to Marquette or Wisconsin. Obviously, they transferred, but whatever. But th- those those in-state recruiting battles matter. 
especially in a state like Nebraska when you're you're not I mean it's you're not littered with a whole bunch of D1 kids every year. So to add kind of to the rub salt in the wound for certain Nebraska fans, it ha- it's you know when you watch Kyrie Thomas and Justin Patton two Omaha kids beat you, you know, that's not fun. And so with the in-state recruiting moving forward, the thing that'll be interesting is those those battles are always always intense. But within that, Greg McDermott and Fred Hoiberg run very similar systems. So what does that mean? That means they're probably going to be going after similar players, both in-state and out-of-state at times. So I just, I think, I'm going to be real curious what the in-state recruiting looks like in terms of who's getting the in-state kids, Creighton or Nebraska, and how they flourish once they're there on campus in the programs. So, you know, you look at this rivalry now with Greg McDermott in Omaha, Fred Hoiberg uh, in Lincoln as the head coaches. It is, it's interesting because like I said, they run very similar styles. They're all about pace. They're all about transition. They're all about threes. They want skill. They want shooting and they're offensive minded. So like I said, could be some recruiting battles over kids over the, over the next handful of years, both in state and out of state. And I'm telling you, I think over the years, Greg McDermott and Tim Miles didn't really target the same kids. That's about to be different. And the other thing then within that is the game should be wildly entertaining to watch. Let's be honest. Sometimes with, with Doc Sadler or, or Tim Miles, as, like, the games would get kind of bogged down and be grinder rock fights, you know? And sometimes rivalry games can just be like that. But I'm telling you, with Greg McDermott and Fred Hoiberg on the sidelines, but the fact that they, they want both want an up-tempo, track, meet, fast-paced game, I think these rival, this, this rivalry game now is going to be really fun to watch. Especially as Hoiberg kind of builds up his style and builds up his foundation. So there's just a lot of, lot of elements now with Hoiberg in, in, in the equation to keep an eye on. And when you got your eyes on the game itself, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. So my experience uh, with this game. So I was one and one in this rivalry. One, one, lost one. Only played two years at Creighton because I transferred, was at Kansas for two years, so those that don't know. I lost in 2006 uh, at Nebraska, Devaney Sports Center. We were, it was early in the year. I think it was the second or third game of the year. We were ranked. We were, we were in the preseason top 25. We were 20th, I think, in one poll. I mean, we had a... We had Nate Funk, Anthony Tolliver, Dane Watts. Uh, we, we we were we were. I always felt like we kind of underachieved that year. We ended up we ended, we went to the NCAA tournament, uh, lost to Nevada in the first round. But you know we we had, we had a we had a sneaky squad, man. I mean, we were ranked twentieth, and we went to Lincoln and boy, Nebraska punked us pretty good. Punked us. I started at point guard that game. I didn't play well. We lost that game. I remember after that game, it's it's amazing the things that you just don't forget. I mean, you play a bunch of games, you have a bunch of practices, and it's funny the the, the things you forget and the things you remember. Uh, I this is one I always remember. 
I remember after that game, getting on the bus to drive back to Omaha. And Coach Altman came to the back of the bus where the players were. And with tears in his eyes, tears of rage, by the way, he said, if I hear one noise on this ride home, we are going to run when we get back. We'll go straight to the gym and we'll run. I'll run your ass. I'll run you till you puke. He said, if I hear one noise, not one, I don't want to hear one cough, one sneeze, not one noise for this whole car ride. And I'm telling you, he was serious as can be. He was so angry and emotional. And so, you know, we fired up the bus and it was quiet. No one, no one, there wasn't a noise made on the bus for the whole ride home. But that is the stuff you bottle up and remember for the following year. That whole revenge and we owe those guys one, that stuff's real. Like sometimes when people talk about that stuff in sport, like that stuff's real. So the next year, 2007, my senior year, we were ready to play. We, we, were, we, we had a great couple of days of practice. Coach Altman was is intense. And, you know, you, I just could, you could feel it. You could feel it lead up the game. We were ready to play. We were at home. Crowd was rocking. 17,000 people in there going crazy. And, you know, we, we just were shot out of a cannon. We rocked Nebraska. We were up 47 to 20 at halftime. And we, we kind of cruised in the set. We went on to win by 14 or something like that. But I can tell you, man, it's not just talk. These games are different. They're different. The energy in the arena is different. The vibe on the floor is different. The physicality, the fight, the intensity, it is all ratcheted up to another level. If you are weak at all, this game, this rivalry will chew you up and spit you out. I just, I know that this is a game where you got to be able to handle the emotion as a player. Now, I love it. I mean, I love it. There are a, there are a few times a year. There are a few times a year where I really miss lacing them up and playing and competing. I'm telling you, the Creighton-Nebraska game is always a game that just it gets the juices flowing, man. It makes you wish you were still out there competing. Because you know, these are the games. It's why you play. Like this, this, these are the games. This is why you play. It's why you bust your ass in the weight room. It's why you get up a thousand shots. It's why you stay late after practice. It's why you wake up early and get shots up before class. This is, these, this is why you play. To, to make shots and make plays in this kind of a game. It's what you dream about when you're in your driveway playing those imaginary games. It's that imaginary game you're playing in your head. It's, the, it's a game like this. I'm just telling you. For atmospheres like that, the roar of the crowd, the shush of the crowd. Oh, man, I'm getting myself worked up. I got to take a drink here. I gotta, hold on one second. I'm getting too worked up. It just, yeah, I mean, it means so much to both fan bases. It means so much to the state. And I love it. 
I love it. But I'm just telling you, this game is different. It is different. So that that is the the rivalry as I kind of see it, both in recent history and and my experience and how it's evolved and and altered a little bit. But with this year, so I'll be on the call FS1. So excited to be on this one every year. I'm not gonna lie. This is the this is one of the games I pray I get from Fox. Like I, I pray. I'm just I'm waiting for my assignments. I'm like, please get Creighton Nebraska. Please get Creighton Nebraska. I just love this game. I just love it. I got it. I'll be on the call with my guy Vince Welch, and I am pumped. And what's what's interesting when you look at this when you look at this game, you look at this, these two teams. What's interesting is the two teams are are very similarly built. Both undersized. Both want to play fast. Both want to take a lot of threes. Both are perimeter oriented. But both teams are at vastly different stages of their programs, right? Hoiberg, year one, brand new team. Basically, one guy has Division One experience, and that's Hanif Cheatham. Other than that, it's a whole bunch of junior college guys and high school kids and low major transfers. And again, Fred Hoiberg is installing a brand new system and style. So it's when, when you look at Nebraska and, and how things have gone. It's it's obviously been a work in progress, and there's been some there there have been a few rough patches already. Started zero and two against UC Riverside and and Southern Utah. Also went to overtime against Southern. Got beat by twenty or so by by George Mason in the Cayman Islands. And then again, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Lost on the road at Georgia Tech tonight. Something I was thinking about. Side note with this. What's kind of a kind of been a blessing? Now this is just this is just me. I was thinking about this. What's kind of been a blessing is Nebraska has been able to struggle and even lose, but it hasn't been on a huge stage. Think about this now: Southern Utah, uh, the Southern game, uh, George Mason were not on a on big national TV. They were on. BTN Plus, which is a subscription add-on deal. It's it was so it wasn't on big BTN. Those are the games where you have the you have the student you have the student uh, announcers, which is really cool for the students. But I mean, it's on BTN Plus, and then the George Mason game, which was in the Cayman Islands, those were on I think Flow TV was what it was called. So it's kind of been a blessing in disguise for Nebraska and Hoiberg to go through their process of finding themselves and maybe even struggling a little bit and have it not be on Big Fox and not be on ESPN and not be on FS1 or CBS or whatever. Just a, just kind of a random thought. So with with this team right now, again, Nebraska's 4-4 four and four on the year. I, I actually thought... I did, I, man, I did nothing today but watch Nebraska film, just so everybody's kind of aware of what I did. I thought they did some decent things and made some progress in the Cayman Islands. I really did. So they went 2-1 and one in the Cayman Islands. They beat Washington State. Then they lost to George Mason and beat and then beat South Florida. And I thought, you know, they dug in and fought through some things and, and played pretty good in spurts. And Hanif Cheatham really, really stepped up. Which was, 
really, really good to see. I mean, he's a guy that that it is it has been imperative that he's one of those dudes that that elevates his game and plays well right now because, like I said, you know, he's one of those guys that has experience. He he scored twenty six points against South Florida. He's the only guy with you know the high D one experience. I asked Hoiberg. I had the South Dakota State game. And I was I asked Hoiberg at shoot around that day. I asked him, you know, who is there a guy in the roster that that is your guy? You know, like a guy that can kind of be your voice in the locker room, be an extension of you. And he immediately said Hanif Cheatham. So him playing better has helped. Because you can tell Hoiberg needs Cheatham for the intangible leadership parts, but then Cheatham also needs to provide some tangible production on the floor. And so that that's good. And then you look at the guards, Cam Mack, Gervais Green, Deshaun Burke. Like, they've all showed flashes. Consistency is the big thing for them. Boy, Cam Mack is just so gifted. When, when Cam Mack pushes the gas pedal, there aren't too many guys that are more explore, explosive than he is in the country. But I, I've told, he's just got to tighten up his game. He's just turnovers, shots. He's just got to tighten it all up. And he's a young player. Same thing. And Javay Green and Deshaun Burke, same thing. Those guys show flashes, but just got to tighten everything up. Javay Green and Deshaun Burke still gamble a little too much on defense. Cam Mack stands a little too much on defense at times. You know, there's always that fine line. Coach Hoiberg wants to give him the green light and, you know, the opportunity to be aggressive. But that's a two-way street because you got to – just because you got the green light doesn't mean you can take bad shots. All that's still coming together. Now, the one thing that we all knew, you know, in a, in a with a roster full of new and a tons of ton of unknown, it wasn't too hard to look at this roster and and say this team's going to struggle to rebound the ball, right? Undersized. So the fact that they have really struggled to rebound, not not surprising at all. And think about it. They are Nebraska is relying on a 17 year old in Ivan Wedrago. And a freshman who's playing out of position in Kevin Cross, who's only 6'8". So it's not hard to go, yeah, if those are your two main frontline guys, you're not going to rebound the ball great. So Nebraska struggled to rebound. I, You know, I, I know I, I saw it heading into the Georgia Tech game. Nebraska ranked 349th in the country in offensive rebounds given up. That's not good. Almost dead last. They're like, I think, 353 Division I teams. So think about that. I mean, that's brutal. And the reality is when you can't, when, when you can't rebound, everything gets tougher. First of all, you're giving up second-chance opportunities for the opponent to score. Uh, you aren't getting a bunch of second opportunities because you're not – getting a bunch of offensive rebounds, which exploits then your turnovers even more because every possession gets magnified that you're losing out on. Which, by the way, Nebraska's had the turnover bug at times. They really had it against George Mason. And it impacts pace, which is crucial for how Fred Hoiberg wants to play. You talked to him about his team. He can't go two sentences without using the word pace. And you can't run... You can't establish pace if you can't rebound. You can't run unless you have the ball. 
So the inability to rebound has obviously been an issue. And then Nebraska's just been a little inconsistent and struggled at times to shoot the ball. And Hoiberg said it best to me where he said, listen, basketball is a tough sport to play when you aren't confident and missing shots has impacted confidence. So that has kind of fluctuated. When this team's kind of making shots, man, they kind of, you know, they play with a different swagger and bounce and Cam Mack gets his celebrations going and all that stuff. Javay Green flashes that big smile. But man, when it when they when they don't make shots, they, all those things wane a little bit. And the thing is, when you aren't making shots, that's when you really got to lean on your foundation from a program standpoint of chemistry and identity and all that. And Nebraska, being a young team with a first year new head coach, again is still is still working on all of that. So it's coming along. I do feel like, and I thought this, and I wrote this down in my notes as I was watching film today, this group is improving. They are they are a lot better today than they were a month ago. They're a lot better today than they were against UC Riverside. I just, I think Hoiberg is still searching a bit for the right lineups and combinations and rotations and 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 how that all looks. For, let me give you a couple of examples. So you look at the front line. Kevin Cross is a much better offensive threat right now than Ivan Wedrago, and he's more versatile than than Big Ivan is. But Ivan is bigger and a little bit better rebounder. So when you have one on the floor, you lose it. You know, you have you have Wedrago on the floor, you lose a little offense. You have Cross on the floor, you're now you you're you get extra small and rebounding becomes even harder. That's challenging. Then there there's someone like Thorir Thorbjarnison. He's probably a little more solid and steady than maybe Deshaun Burke or Gervais Green is, but he's not as talented of a playmaker as they are. Those two guys are. So when you got when you got Thor in there, you're getting a little more solid play, a little more steady, more of the right spots defensively, not as many turnovers, but you are definitely sacrificing some playmaking. And then even look at a guy like Cam Mack. You know, again, a little erratic at times, but you Nebraska doesn't really have a backup point guard. I mean, Jare Green has to slide over, or Deshaun Berg has to slide over and play the point. When, and when Max not in, the pace suffers quite a bit. So if you're Fred Hoiberg, you, you got to ride him. So it's things like that. I, I think the strength of this team over the course of the first eight games is, is its backcourt's ability to drive the basketball. Cam Mack and, and Javay Green and Deshaun Burke and Hanif Cheatham, they, they can get into the lane at a pretty high rate. They're pretty good. And you can tell, and this is, again, where there's a learning process. You can tell Fred Hoiberg is really trying to diagram driving opportunities for those guys. Not necessarily as many three-point shooting opportunities, but getting those guys a seam, a lane line, a little weave. They went to that big time against, uh, against Washington State and South Florida. They went to they, – they, they run a little three. It really is kind of like a two-man weave, but they got a third guy on, on the low wing. And they went to it a lot, where it's just they take turns probing in there and flipping it back, and the next guy tries to penetrate and flips it back. That's the strength of this team. 
And obviously Cam Cam Mack is, you know, he's a handful in ball screens. Because every once in a while, he makes one or two passes a game that are like, whoo. Like, you're like, whoa. He shows signs of, of having just elite vision. And he's hard to keep out of the lane. Now, defensively, they're still, they'll, you know, they're still a work in progress, man. They're still learning the attention to detail it takes to defend at this level. They have the pieces on the perimeter to guard. They do. They got athletic guards who are versatile defenders. They just got to improve their discipline and sustain focus, right? I mean, when when Cam Mack and Burke and Green and Cheatham are locked in and engaged, they, they can guard. So it's coming along. With Creighton. So Creighton... They've lost two games on the season, and they've lost to two really good teams. I mean, obviously, they've lost at Michigan on the road in Ann Arbor, and clearly Michigan is a really good team. And then they lost to San Diego State in Vegas, and San Diego State's undefeated and pretty damn good-looking team. And that, that Vegas trip was so, so interesting. It was quite a display of toughness and mental confidence for Creighton to get absolutely embarrassed by San Diego State on Thanksgiving night. It was the worst loss in 18 years for Creighton by final score. It was not good. And then 24 hours later, Creighton stands toe-to-toe and takes down Texas Tech in overtime. That's pretty impressive. And the guy that led the way is the guy that I've been telling people for a year is Creighton's best player. I, you can go – I've told people for a year, Marcus Zagorowski is Creighton's best player. How about his turnaround in Vegas? So he goes 3 of 16 against San Diego State. Probably had his worst game of his Creighton career. That was on Thanksgiving Day. Then the next day, Black Friday, 32 points and was pretty much unguardable against Texas Tech. Texas Tech, number one Ken Palm defensive efficiency team a year ago. Played in the national title game. Now, it's it's a different roster, but nevertheless, Chris Beard, those teams that he coaches, those boys are tough. You, you put up 32 on Texas Tech. I mean, just that doesn't happen. Zagorowski was outstanding, and he's playing great right now. I think the off-season hip surgery for him has really, really changed him. He's feeling much better physically. And when your body feels good, you can put in extra work, more time, before practice, after practice. And Greg McDermott, I was talking to him the other day before the Oral Roberts game had on TV, and he sung the praises of Marcus Zagorowski's preparation. Said it's been off the charts. And I, again, I've been telling you guys for a year, I told you in the preview podcast, I believe in Marcus Zagorowski. I really do. And he's played great. But so have the other two guards, Tyshawn Alexander and Mitch Ballack. Those three guards, they're just tough. Tough to guard. I talked to a Texas Tech assistant coach after the Creighton game. And he told me that Creighton might have the best shooting backcourt in the country. And you hear something like that, and you kind of your, your initial thoughts like, whoa. And then you kind of think about it, and you're like, yeah, I could see that. It's hard to argue that. Now, with all that said, it's not all sunshine and rainbows for Creighton. I think the, the, the lack of depth is really hurting this team. Davion Mintz is still out with that bum ankle. Now, he has started to run and work out and shoot, 
but he he still they don't have a, a definite timetable. He still is probably a week or two away. But his injury combined with Epperson's in the fall it, it has made it so Creighton has a short bench, and I think they are they're I think they're wearing down in in the second halves of games. It's hard to sustain and play at the pace that Creighton plays at with no depth. And you and you can just see they don't have the same pop at times in the second half. And oddly enough, now hear me out. I hope I explain this correctly. For as good of an offensive team as Creighton is, they kind of struggle to get easy points because it's all jump shots with those three guards. Like, they, they don't get to the free throw line very much. They don't have a low post guy that can get easy points at the rim like Martin Crumple could a year ago. So in, in a weird way, they don't have Marcus Foster that can kind of post up or drive and just get to the basket at, with ease. So in a weird way, offense has been a little harder at times. There's just kind of been – there have been spurts where it's like, eh. And speaking of spurts, w- within that, Creighton hasn't had as many of their kind of patented flurries or spurts where they you know, they go on a 12-0 run and a flash on you. And I think a lot of that is because it all has to be jump shots right now. It's hard to go on a 12-0 run when you're having to make all jumpers. You know, it's got to be like Zagorowski jumper, Balak jumper, Alexander jumper, Balak jumper. Like, that's hard to do. Usually runs are like layup, layup, free throw, free throw, layup three. And so that that's been interesting to watch. But again, they're fighting. I think this this team's collective grit seems better. But there's no doubt they they need Davion Mintz back and healthy, and they need to get to mid December or the end of the first semester, I should say, to get Denzel Mahoney, the Southeast Missouri State transfer, eligible and in the equation. Because that'd just be two bodies that just, you know, you, I mean, I'm telling you, I I haven't played, like there's a big difference between playing 35 minutes and 30 minutes. And you spell Balak a a two-minute breather here or there, and Tyshawn Alexander a breather here and there, and Marcus Zagorowski, but like that makes a huge difference. That makes a huge difference. So with with this matchup, Creighton Nebraska, Saturday afternoon, I'll throw a couple things out to kind of chew on. the The first one, the first thing I wrote down when I was I was putting some notes together today. First thing, how does Nebraska handle the road hostile environment? Now Nebraska played their first true road game at Georgia Tech Wednesday night, and don't kid yourself. Georgia Tech, they had zero fans there. There was a shot of the arena. I think Robin Washett tweeted it out. There was a shot of their arena at tip, and it was literally it, – it looked like there was like a 1,000 people there at the at most. It was empty. Well, on Saturday afternoon, there's going to be 18,000 people at the CHI Health Center, and it is going to be rocking in there. So how does Nebraska's young, new, inexperienced team – handle that I I think that is huge the ability to handle adversity and the crowd in the moment is all on the players 
Fred Hoiberg can't do it for them. Sure, you can call timeouts and try to look them in the eyes and get them to relax, but ultimately, you got to be the one that problem solves as a player. They are the ones that got to be able to take a deep breath and deal with it. And I've always felt like tough environments, the crowd gets it, it impacts your decision making. So Nebraska's turnovers will be something to keep an eye on. Then obviously, I think, uh, you know, we talked about how both teams are built. So obviously how they're built matters. I think the three-point line and pace are going to be huge. Both teams want to play fast. Both teams want to take a lot of threes. Whoever shoots the three ball better, obviously going to be in a great position to win the basketball game. And with the whole topic of pace, I'll be real curious to see how Hoiberg handles this particular matchup in that regard. I, I realize that Fred Hoiberg wants to run and you know they, they want to establish pace. And to be honest, that's actually, I think, when they're at their best is when they're getting out and running. But, man, I, you got to be real careful about getting into a track meet against Creighton in Omaha. Real careful. Those three guards for the J, those guys are electric in the open floor. So I am fascinated at the the question of what does the pace look like? And so with the fact that both teams are probably going to want to push the gas and, and run – Transition defense both ways is going to be huge. And what's and both Creighton and Nebraska, they do it a little bit different. Creighton kind of runs to get threes right now. They they run to the three-point line. Nebraska runs to the rim. Those guards are going to the rim. Like Cheatham and Burke and Green and Matt, those guys are attacking to get layups. Creighton's more attacking to, to you know, pitch ahead, extra pass three. So transition defense is going to be very different both ways. If you're Nebraska, you got to sprint back. You got to defend the three point line and find those shooters and press out to them and talk. And for Nebraska or for Creighton, you got to pack the paint. You got to stop the ball. Just very different approaches. And then the you know the, the whole rebounding thing is is something to watch, I suppose. But the reality is, both teams are undersized. Both teams aren't great rebounding teams. I don't think both either team's going to crash the offensive glass a ton because they're both probably worried about the other team's transition. And obviously, Nebraska, we've talked about how they've really struggled in that department. But Creighton isn't a team that's built to punk Nebraska inside and on the glass. So I don't know if that's necessarily a huge component. But certainly, you never know. The one thing you got to think about is if a lot, if you know, say both teams take you know twenty five threes, it's fifty jumpers, long and long shots equal what? Long rebounds. So, who kind of corrals those rebounds in that fifteen to eighteen foot area could be really huge. So there you go. Pace will be fascinating to watch. Transition defense both ways. The three point line will be huge, and how Nebraska handles the environment. This is the first real rough road atmosphere for you know Cam Mack and and those guys so I can't wait this is always a fun game I'm so pumped to be on the call again Saturday FS1 I'll be on the call should be a blast in the meantime again make sure you go subscribe to the podcast that way you don't miss an episode give it a rating give it a review while you're at it 
I appreciate each and every one of you taking some time out to listen. And I'll talk to you guys next time on the Nick Ba Podcast. Production.